Good morning, everybody. Uh, you'll have to bear with me as my voice is uh, a little weak today. <clears throat> um, I'm afraid I'm guilty of yelling through a football game yesterday. And, um, and then I was at a wedding where at the reception, the music was quite loud. And so to carry on a, nom a normal conversation, you had to scream at the top of your lungs. And I realized about halfway through the evening that my voice was uh, leaving me. So um, I'm drinking a magic potion here that's supposed to keep it going. So I just uh, pray that I can get through our message today. Um, so uh, let me just pray for us as we begin. <clears throat> Lord, it is a great privilege to gather as your people. We thank you for the freedom we have and the, the ability we have to come together to sing, uh, to pray, to learn from your word. Ultimately, Lord, to meet you um, because that's really why we're here and that is our greatest need is is you yourself. And we thank you that you have given yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So we do pray for this time right now. Lord, I do pray for my voice. You'd help me to just be able to speak. And um, I pray that my words would ultimately fall away and just the truth of your word would stand in our hearts. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, we've been going through the book of Acts, as you all know. <clears throat> we are um, today in the, in the 18th chapter. And we've been going through asking this question of what is the church? And I want us to think today a little bit about not so much what is the church, but who are we? as the church and not only just who we think we are, but also consider a little bit about how the world sees us. You all are probably familiar. I think it's fairly well known that, that uh, church attendance is down dramatically in recent history. Um, just a few statistics here. I won't bore you with statistics, but I'll throw a few of them out there. Um, uh, 2020, the year 2020 saw the, uh, a milestone in that um, average, less than 50% of the population of the United States now um, attends any kind of worship, whether it be a church or a synagogue or even a mosque. 20 years ago, that was at 70%. So it's dropped um, about 20% in 20 years. Um, that the drop is especially stark among the younger generation. Um, baby boomers like me, those born between the years 1946 and 1964, approximately 58% of us are members of a uh, house of worship. The millennials, on the other hand, um, who are most of my children, 
those who were born between 1981 and 1996, um, only 36% of the millennials um, attend, consider themselves members and attend a house of worship. So we're kind of on a bad trajectory, actually. But interestingly, interest in spirituality continues to increase. It's, you know, in our world today, it is, it's, it's a very normal and accepted thing to be spiritual and to be seeking spiritual reality. The problem is only when you find it. People don't like, like for us to say that we have found spiritual reality. Um, you can seek all you want, but if you found it and you think what you found is true, then um, it becomes an unpopular position to take. Um, when we look at kind of the news in the world, uh, you know, what is the church? How does, it, how does the world see the church? Well, in the news, I think we're seen often as a voting block. Um, we're seen as, or we, we get into the news when there's a scandal, you know, when somebody with a big name does, you know, gets involved in something that they shouldn't, then that makes the news. Um, and often as a church body, we're known more for what we stand against rather than what we stand for. And so here we are in Salem in October. It's an interesting place to be. People from all around the world coming here. And what are they coming for? What are they coming for? What is this, the fascination with witches? You know, we have to ask ourselves. Um, what do these people think about the church? I don't really know, actually. I'm not sure they're even thinking about the church. Um, maybe they don't think about us at all. But, um, but we should be concerned about what the world sees and what the world thinks when they think of Christians. And so it's important for us to really understand for ourselves who we are. What is our identity as a church, as the people of the church, the body of Christ? If, if we are going to make a difference in the world, then we've got to know who we are and why we're here, what we're all about. So I think this passage actually answers that question fairly well in three ways. <clears throat> and that's why I've, I've titled the sermon, The Church, The Community in Jesus, The Community for Jesus, and The Community with Jesus. So first of all, the community, community in Jesus. And on, on, on this one, each of those kind of subtitles is, is the three words. And the first one, Community with Jesus, I'm going to emphasize community. We are community in Jesus. You know, when you read through chapter 18, I had to read through this chapter so many times to really get a feel for what the 
what the flow of it was all about. It's kind of overwhelming because there are so many people names and so many places named, it's kind of hard to keep it all straight in your head. Um, just the people. In just chapter 18, we're, we hear about Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Claudius, Silas, Timothy, Titius Justus, Crispus, Gallio, Sosthenes, Apollos, the Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Corinthians, and the brothers. Those are the, you know, when you first, when you start to study the Bible, the first thing you're supposed to do is kind of look at the, the who, what, when, where, and how. So just that, the answer to the who of chapter 18 is a long list. Well, we can't, obviously don't have time to dig into all those people, but what comes through is that especially when you look at the believers that are discussed in this chapter, it's always about how they are coming together. It's always about how they're coming together. In the very first verse, it says, you know, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Well, that is true in that it was Paul went to Corinth. He went by himself. If you read back in chapter 17, he left Timothy and Silas behind and went on to Corinth, to Corinth by himself. One of the only times in the whole book of Acts that you see Paul doing anything by himself. And it's interesting to see in verse 2, as soon as he gets there, he looks for other people. He looks for believers to join himself to. And the first thing he, he does is he finds Aquila and Priscilla. Um, and he finds them and he, and he moves in with them because they're fellow believers, because they, have, they share the same trait. And then the very next thing that happens is that Timothy and Silas come because Paul had called and asked for them to come. They had gotten left behind, but Paul wanted them with him. So we see this thing that Paul is continually gathering people around himself. We, we I think, can, can tend to think of Paul as this great apostle, you know, going around preaching and doing all these things. And we think of him solitary, Paul, doing what Paul did. But Paul was very much about community, always gathering people around himself. And um, that's an important lesson for us to learn. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. You know, Jesus, when we read through the Gospels, Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, he always sent them out at least in twos, at least in twos. He never sent anybody out by themselves. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. And not to say that there aren't times where we are alone, right? I mean, there are times in life where we are alone for a variety of reasons. And we don't have Christian community. We don't have fellowship or whatever. And in those times, obviously, you know, one of the other things we'll talk about here is that Jesus is with us. We always have that comfort of the presence of Christ with us wherever we are. So ultimately, even when we are alone, we're not alone because of Jesus. But that is really not the goal that we should look for, of being just us and Jesus going through life together. I know some people, I've heard people say, I've got Jesus, I don't need anything else. Well, at some level that's true. But in reality, Jesus himself calls us to be together. He calls us to come together as his community. 
I mentioned last time I preached, you know, when, when Jesus was asked how to pray, the first thing he said was, when you pray, say, our Father. Our Father. We don't say my Father. We say our Father because we come to God together. Now, thinking about community, I also want us just to notice that when we look at all the different kinds of people that there are basically all kinds. There are Jews and Gentiles. There are male and female. There are old and young. There are powerful and there are weak. Um, the church of Jesus is by nature diverse. It is by nature meant to be inclusive of all kinds of people. Um, the gospel is for everyone. It's not just for one type of people, one category, one race, one gender, one education level or whatever. The gospel is for everyone. And so therefore the church should be for everyone. The church should reflect the, the world focus of the gospel. Um, you know, the picture that we get of heaven in, in the book of Revelation is that all the people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language gathering around the throne of the Lamb to worship. And I, I truly believe that as a church, the more diverse we are, the more we reflect um, that diversity of people from all nations and all languages and all groups as, as we come together in our diversity um, we truly reflect heaven more and more um, it's really an amazing thing you know because when you think about the church in its diversity there's often you know it doesn't make sense that we would be together you know because we're so different we have different um, you know we come from different backgrounds and we you know, maybe have different educations and whatever, all the different things about our lives. And yet, we are drawn together because we have Jesus in common, right? That's why we're here. It's not because we all listen to the same music or root for the same sports teams or whatever. It's because we have Jesus in common. That's what brings us together. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And John, uh, in his, one of his letters, he said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are children of God. We are children in the family of God. And that should be how we think of ourselves more than anything else, more than our, um, our race, our gender, whatever. Our, our identity, our identity at the core of our being should ultimately be about the fact that we are children of the living God and our brothers and sisters in Christ are our family, whatever they look like, wherever they come from. Paul said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. That's what the church is. We are a community in Christ Jesus. The story of the Bible is really all about 
relationships, broken relationships being restored. You know, when you go to the very beginning of the Bible, we read about how the, the world was perfect in the garden, right? There was God and man lived together in perfect harmony, and then sin came into the world. And the result of sin was broken relationship, broken relationship with God and broken relationship between each other. And the whole rest of the Bible, the whole rest of the Bible is about God fixing that problem, a broken relationship. And that ultimately is what Jesus came to do, was to fix the broken relationship between us and God and the broken relationships between each other. So that's really what we're all about, is coming together by the healing, the restoring of Jesus, making us all into one body. Um, Jesus died to do that, to bring us together with God, to bring us together with each other. So that's what I think this past, the first thing this passage, passage teaches us is that the church is, is a community in Jesus. We are community. We are family. The second thing is that we are the church. We are a community for Jesus. We are the community for Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? And what I mean by that really is that the church really only has one message. And that message is Jesus. That message is Jesus. When we look at, again, back in Acts chapter 18, every time we see a description of the message that is being proclaimed, it's always focused on Jesus. Uh, verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. That was his message. Paul was trying to convince the Jews that the Christ, the Messiah, that they were waiting for was this man, Jesus, who had just come. And the whole message, his, his message, wherever he went, was that they needed to turn their attention, turn their eyes, like we just sang, upon Jesus. Because he came as the fulfillment of all the promises of God that we read throughout the Old Testament. That was Paul's message. And we get um, at the, just the end of, of the chapter, and we didn't read this earlier, but you can do it in your own time. We're, we're introduced to um, a man named Apollos, um, who is described as an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. But what was, what was the focus of Apollo's teaching? Well, in verse 25, it says, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. That was his message. That's the only message the church really has, is to teach accurately the things concerning Jesus. So Jesus is our, mass, our message. Everything we do and say comes under that heading. Jesus is the center of our message and the center of who we are. Paul, in, uh, in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in which I think he's talking about this trip that we're just reading about right here in Acts chapter 18. Um, Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians and, and remembering being with them. 
He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how Paul summarized his message to the Corinthians. So as, as we are the body of Christ, the community of Jesus, as we reach out to the community around us in Salem or wherever we are, Jesus has to be the center of, of our message the center of who we are, the center of our lives, that people can see that in our lives and hear it in our words. Um, what do people see when they look at the church? Are they seeing Jesus? And I don't mean just our church. I don't mean to pick on our church. I mean the church, the larger church, um, you know, what do people see? That's a question I think we need to, to really ask and, and ask ourselves, how can we as a church be more effective at helping people to see Jesus when they look at the church? How can we be laser focused on, on Jesus being our message and, and be careful about getting caught up in political power and all the other things that we can get ourselves caught up in. And let me, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should not be involved in politics, but I, I will say that I think that the church is wrongheaded to be seeking political power. If you look at history, if you look at history, the church has always, how should I say it? The church, in my mind, has always been its weakest spiritually when it was at its most powerful politically. Uh, I won't go into all that, but if you just think about, yeah, if you know church history, where the church has been strong is when it, where it's struggled, where it's had to be, where the sacrifices have had to be made for the church to survive. Even today, the places where the church is growing fastest is in places like Iran, where people are being jailed daily for following Jesus. Places like China, where people are also being jailed, being persecuted, being executed for following Jesus. Church is alive and well in those places. Um, you know, in John chapter 6, we're told that the people wanted to make Jesus king, and he ran away. He ran away. Because that was not what Jesus came to do. Jesus knew that the problem, the greatest problem in the world was not a political problem. You know, the Jews thought that their greatest problem was that they were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And their hope, their expectation for the Messiah when he, ca when he came would be that he would come in and he would rally an army and that he would conquer Rome and reestablish Israel as a, to its rightful place. 
And, I, and in some ways, Jesus was crucified because he was not that political leader. He failed to meet the expectations of the Jews because Jesus knew that the enemy was much greater than Rome. The enemy that he came to conquer was sin and death. And he knew that could not be conquered by political means. And that is what Jesus is still trying to conquer today through us, bringing the promise of deliverance from sin and death, not through political power, but through humility, through service, through love, kindness. The kingdom of God comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that is our message. So, third point, just checking the time. Um, third point, the community, the church is the community with Jesus. And not ultimately because we go to him, but because he comes to us. Um, in verses 9 and 10 of the passage we read, <clears throat> We're told how Jesus came to Paul one night in a vision with these words. He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now what's interesting here is is why does Jesus come to Paul with this vision at this moment? Because it seems like a strange moment. Um, Paul has just had this successful ministry. We're told just in the, the words immediately before that in verse 8, it says, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. It's like Paul had just led this revival. And this, had this great successful ministry experience. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes to him in a vision. And he says, Paul, do not be afraid. And we have to say, why? What are you talking about, Jesus? And I think the answer is because Paul knew that almost every time he saw ministry success he then suffered attack almost every single time that there was a positive response was always followed by a negative response and by this time alone in uh, in acts and there's more to come from here on forward but by this time paul had already been run out of seven different cities he'd been beaten and jailed and stoned He'd had to flee by night because of all the opposition that he faced, even in places where there had been fruitful, successful ministry. And so it's amazing, and I think just a, a, a lesson to us in the tenderness of Jesus, you know, going back to the book that's being studied in the Sunday school, the gentleness and tenderness of Jesus, that he comes to Paul after this successful time of ministry, and he says, Paul, don't be afraid, for I am with you. 
And he goes on to promise Paul kind of a, a time of peace and, and uh, a time where he will not be attacked. Because I, my guess is, and, and again, I'm reading into the text here, so you can take it with a, a grain of salt. But my guess is that Paul was tired. You know, Paul was emotionally drained. He had, he had been at ministering and, and seeing all this success, but also seeing all this opposition. And, and I think, you know, Jesus comes to him at this time of, of tiredness and vulnerability, and he says, Paul, don't be afraid, for I am with you. The greatest promise of the Bible, right? When God says to us, I am with you. That is, that is the great message of the Bible, that God is with us. Um, not just, you know, that God loves us from afar, you know, God kind of stands at a distance and loves us and, and whatever provides for us through various means, but this promise of God with us is the recurring theme of the, of the Bible and comes to its pinnacle in Emmanuel, right? Jesus coming to be with us, God with us, just who Jesus is. Um, God does not always promise us that he will keep us from pain and suffering like he did to Paul in this case. And Paul knew that, right? Paul obviously knew that, that Jesus did not protect him from all pain and suffering. Paul had experienced plenty of it, and he would experience more after this. But what Jesus promised him was his presence, that he would be with him in, in that suffering, in whatever pain and trials that he would face. And in this case, that he was, was giving him a breather to kind of, you know, re restore, refresh, rebuild before the next, the next battles. But so the church is the community with Jesus because Jesus is with us, right? He promises to be with us and he is with us. But we are also called to be with him, right? Our, Jesus being with us does not mean that we are passive and that we just go through our lives expecting him to come to us, uh, to meet our needs, to, to comfort us in our sorrow. We're called to, to go to him. We are called to be a people that, that, that goes after the presence of God. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The author of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then draw, draw near with confidence. So we're called to, to pursue the presence of God. We have the promise that his presence is with us, and yet we are called to, to pursue that. One of those kind of dichotomies that we find in the Bible, both are true. Isn't that the cry of every heart? 
to know that God is near, especially in times of sorrow and pain and suffering. Isn't that what we, we need to know? We want to know that God is with us. So that's who we are. That's what, that's what the Bible tells us, that we are the community with Jesus. We are a community that has been drawn together because we have this joyful knowledge and experience that Jesus is with us. And not only with us in our trials, but also with us in our joys. And with us in a special way when we come together. Um, we are, I talked about this a little bit before, but we are the temple of God. The gathered church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we come together, the presence of God is with us in a unique way. I, I can't really get my head around that. I don't know if somebody else can explain it to me, but because God is everywhere, right? God's presence is everywhere. But God's presence is with us in a special and unique way when we are gathered together as his body. And so it's important for us to continue to do that, to continue to come together, to encourage one another, to worship together, to challenge each other, to help one another, to be this community for and in and with Jesus in our world. So just in conclusion, the church is really ultimately all about Jesus, in, for, and with Jesus. When we stop being all about Jesus, we really stop being the church. You know, we can be a club, we can be a group of friends getting together because we like hanging out together, but we're not the church if we're not all about Jesus. That's what the church is all about. And that's what we are called to be. And that's the, priv that's the privilege that we have of being. Um, and when we think about the world around us, the world needs Jesus. We have the greatest gift, the greatest message there is. And that's what is our calling, is to bring that message, to bring that Jesus to the world around us. They're hungry and they need him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the privilege that we have of being this community that you are building, this thing that we call the church this gathering of your people that you said I will build and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it thank you Lord that what that means is that you bring us together you give us purpose and you give us your presence and when we have those things we really have enough and we just commit ourselves by your power, by your presence, to be a faithful church in this community and in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.